106.5 WFMP, this is Community Control Now, special presentation, part three of Michael T's academic treatise, The Dialectical Rise of a White Nationalist State. Without any further ado, let's get right into it. Part three, after Bacon's Rebellion. Quote, when African indigenous and poor Europeans began to rebel simultaneously, simple survival of the capitalist slaveocracy meant concessions to one of these groups. In this context, scuttling aspirations of the African indigenous versus assaging poorer Europeans seemed to be the only viable option given the momentum of settler colonialism. Quote, the colonies were class societies, and hence within them, class struggle was characteristic. There was not only the transatlantic conflict, but also the internal conflicts of artisans, mechanics, workers against merchants and bosses, slaves against slave owners, yao men against large planters, debt farmers against wealthy landowners and creditors. These class struggles permeate all of colonial history. And always, from Bacon's Rebellion in Virginia in 1667 to the Massachusetts Land War, led by Samuel Adams' father in the 1740s, the forces of the king were arrayed on the side of law and order, exploitation and plunder, and served as bulwarks against the urgent demands of the colonial masses, end quote. Thus, the slave-owning class initiated, over a period of decades, a carefully calculated system to maintain slavery and maximize their profits by gradually abolishing European indentured servitude in favor of lifetime hereditary enslavement of Africans. To justify this, they formulated the specious concept of a separate, superior white race as a means of forging cross-class unity among all people in the colonies of European descent. John Locke, the author of Two Treatises of Government in 1689, his most famous work, wrote Fundamental Constitutions of Carolina in 1669. In that book, he says, among other things, that, quote, every free man in Carolina shall have, quote, absolute power and authority over the Negro slaves. However, he goes even further. The work is essentially a manifesto for justifying social hierarchy and class oppression. Locke envisioned a colonial system that confers favor upon elites and manor lords. According to him, commoditization of land must be based on class status. He divided counties in the South Carolina colony into five sections one-fifth for property owners, one-fifth for aristocrats, and three-fifths for untitled manor lords and freeholders. Locke's constitution had no place for democracy. Quote, 
Land held power because of its extent, potential for settlement, and future increase. Knowing how to master the land's fruitfulness was the true definition of class power. It is important that we understand Bacon's rebellion for what it revealed. The most promising land was never equally available to all. By 1700s, indentured servants no longer had much of a chance to own land. They had to move elsewhere or become tenants. The royal surveyors made sure that large planters had first bids on new, undeveloped land, and so the larger tracts were increasingly concentrated in fewer hands. Then as more ships of slaves arrived in the colony, these two were monopolized by major landholding families, end quote. Theodore Allen informs us that the chattel slave-owning class made a special effort to make sure white supremacy was systematically propagated. In the 1705 Act Concerning Servants and Slaves and the 1723 Act Directing the Trial of Slaves, it was mandated that parish clerks and church wardens regularly read these laws to their congregants. Quote, This era saw emergence of laws barring people classified as white from meeting or marrying members of the population assigned to the bottom caste. Becoming an armed servant or overseer with material and social benefits was an offer most European settlers could not refuse if they wanted to avoid poverty, prison, or banishment to even harsher environment. This propaganda was also posted on the doors of courthouses. All people of European descent, who had previously been designated by their European nation of origin, whether they were property owners or property-less, were now white and supposedly part of the ruling class. Quote, the denial of the right of self-defense to African males would become a factor in the creation of a novel form of white male supremacy informed by the principle that any white male could assume familiarity with any black female. That principle came to be sanctioned by law. A 1667 Maryland provincial court decision, for example, stipulated that, quote, no slave had recourse against the violator of his bed. The law simply does not criminalize the rape of slave women, end quote. Quote, nor does the colored woman suffer alone. The moral purity of the white woman is deeply contaminated. She lives in habitual intercourse with men whom she knows to be polluted by licentiousness, and often is she compelled to witness in her own domestic circle. Wrote Sarah Grimke, a southern white woman from a slave-owning family who, with her sister, Angelina, became active in both the abolitionist and suffrage movements. Quote, enslaved women were, as defenders of slavery put it, safety valves, helping to redirect the lust of white men away from white women. A thorough and honest study of American history sheds much light on the relationship between male and white supremacy. In the late 17th century, Virginia's colonial rulers passed a law that said that all children born of enslaved mothers were automatically enslaved. This established the principle of descent through the mother, 
which was a reversal of the English common law principle of descent through the father, parte sequitur, a law which had been in existence for hundreds of years. This allowed slave owners to reproduce their labor force through sexual intercourse without any personal responsibility or familial obligation. As the colonies transitioned from indentured servitude to lifetime hereditary enslavement of Africans, the latter were required to carry passes. Despite this, slave uprisings, large and small, continued. Virginia enacted its first slave codes, official rules for regulating the behavior of the enslaved, and establish the notorious slave patrols. Quote, the system of slavery demanded a special police force, and such a force was made possible and unusually effective by the presence of the poor whites. This explains the difference between the slave revolts in the West Indies and the lack of effective revolt in the southern United States. In the West Indies, the power over the slave was held by the whites, and carried out by them and such Negroes as they could trust. In the South, on the other hand, the great planters formed proportionally quite as small a class, but they had singularly enough at their command some five million poor whites. That is, there was actually more white people to police the slaves than there were slaves. End quote. By 17... The colonial government in South Carolina established slave patrols, embedding them into the already existing volunteer militias. Other colonies followed their model, one which would generally remain in place until the Civil War. Learning to read and holding meetings were strictly outlawed. Organizing or even suggesting rebellion could result in death. Whites who refused to participate in patrols received stiff fines. These militias and patrols did not just consist of impoverished white men. According to historian Sally Haddon, all white males, rich or poor, were required to participate in militias and patrols, although the commanders were usually property owners and slave owners. Quote, Quote, After 1650, slavers in Virginia began expanding deeper into the territory of the Tuscarora Nation and were the first English settlers in what became the North Carolina colony in 1729. During the first three decades of Virginia settler incursion, the colony's militia was used solely to attack and burn down Tuscarora towns, incinerate their crops, and slaughter their families who resided there. Quote. The French and Indian War, 1754 to 1763, was the North American manifestation of the Seven Years' War between France and Britain, essentially over colonial territories. Between 1756 and 1763, European colonial powers fought a series of wars, 
primarily over colonial possessions all over most of the world. With England emerging the major victor, it gave them domination over world trade, particularly sea power, for almost two centuries. Consequently, France lost all claims to Canadian lands east of the Mississippi River. During the war, indigenous peoples, including the Ottawa, Miami, Kickapoo, and the Confederation of Tribes under Chief Pontiac's leadership, allied with British forces. Although the alliance proved to be in a losing effort, the toll it took on the victors was great enough that the indigenous were able to wrest a concession from the British colonialists. Halt the migration of settlers west of the Allegheny-Appalachian mountain chain, quote, ordering those who had settled there to relinquish their claims and return to the kingdom's 13 colonies, unquote. This was known as the Royal Proclamation of 1763. Of course, abandoning their colonial expansion was the very last thing many settlers wanted to do. They defied it every chance they got. Quote, in 1765, in order to enforce the proclamation line, the British Parliament imposed the Stamp Act on the colonists, a tax on all printed materials that had to be paid in British pounds, not local paper money. The iconic colonial protest slogan, Taxation Without Representation is Tyranny, did not tell the whole story. Considering that the tax was to pay the cost of housing, feeding, and transporting soldiers. Quote, quote, individual white settlers who took Native American lands feared retaliation, but many white people lived in cities and were not worried about Indian attack. White settlers, in conjunction with the U.S. government, which wanted to open up Native American land, had to convince the public that Native Americans were dangerous and needed to be exterminated. The campaign using pictures and the media created images of Indians as primitive, cruel savages who wanted to kill white men and rape white women. This campaign made it easier to justify the appropriation of Native American lands and the death and removal of Native Americans themselves." End quote. There is significant evidence confirming that the decision to issue a unilateral declaration of independence from Great Britain was made many years before 1776. Spain's colonial settlements begun on the west coast of the continent were expanding east and south, eventually exceeding in size the British-controlled ones. Colonial rivalries, including the French, raged even after 1776. Moreover, Spain with colonies throughout Central and South America, began freeing some of their slaves, especially in their Florida colony, arming them to attack the adjacent British colonies. As a countermeasure, the British began to arm their enslaved population in various parts of the colonies, even considering abolition. 
Of course, their colonial surrogate leaders were vehemently opposed to these developments. The founding fathers-to-be were socially engineering a society, a slaveocracy, based on the myth of white supremacy as a form of colonial control and labor policy. The very last thing they wanted was armed ex-slaves in their midst. Quote, The periodic slave uprisings and insurrections caused many colonists to refer to the enslaved Africans as intestinal enemies. These contradictory strains were creating a symbiotic loathing and reliance upon Africans, with murderous surveillance deemed necessary to ensure that they were at all times under control, a trend that did not necessarily abate with the founding of New Republic. End quote. Another critical concern for the colonial slavercrats was a dynamic abolition movement emerging in the mother country. That movement created the atmosphere that resulted in a stunning judicial ruling in the Somerset case of 1772. 106.5 WFMP, Community Control Now. You are listening to part three of the dialectical rise of a white nationalist state. We're going to get back into it here. James Somerset was an enslaved man who was brought from South Carolina to London with his owner, William Drayton. Shortly after arriving, he escaped, was subsequently caught, but sued for his freedom. After a contentious trial, he was allowed to go free. The judge in the case found that slavery was not supported in the common law. From the perspective of many U.S. slave owners, the verdict pretended the end of chattel slavery in all of the British colonies. Quote, how is it that we hear the loudest yelps for liberty among the drivers of Negroes, said Samuel Johnson, a prominent British writer in 1775. If the Negroes are furnished with firearms for defense and utensils for husbandry, and settled on some simple form of government within the country, they may be more grateful and honest than their masters. Arm the Africans and indigenes to combat the rebels. The break with Britain was inevitable. And that is the end of part three of the dialectical rise of a white nationalist state. And all of that information is based on the writings of Gerald Horn uh, from a book he did called Apocalypse of Settler Colonialism, Herbert Aftecker, The Unfolding Drama, Nancy Eisenberg, White Trash, John Woodford, Apocalypse of Our Times, From Against the Current, uh, the January-February 2019 uh, edition, Theodore Allen, The Invention of the White Race, Greg Grandin, The End of the Myth, W.E.B. Du Bois, Black Reconstruction in America, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, Loaded, A Disarming History of the Second Amendment, Paul Kivel, Uprooting Racism, and Gerald Horn, The Counter-Revolution of 1776. 
All right, so that was part three of the dialectical rise of a white nationalist state. Michael C., mm-hmm. can you just give us a breakdown here? What are we working with with uh, the plot thickens, so mm-hmm. to speak? Yes, uh, what I try to convey in that part is the build up to the unilateral declaration of independence, how the colonists broke off from being controlled by the British Empire and why they did, you know, unlike the common narrative that uh, we have been told that, oh, this was for democracy and freedom. Actually, this was to prevent, primarily, the British from outlawing slavery. Because remember, the British had control of the colonies, but if the colonies formed their own independent nation, the British couldn't tell them what to do. You know, about any of the land um, theft or enslavement or anything that they went Yo, did. They don't talk about Bruno on that one. They just, they good. And, you know, you never hear that when you hear the history lessons. It was just nope. this noble stance they took from, I they guess. They wanted freedom. French, you know. They were so oppressed by the British. And they weren't even in any way as oppressed as the indigenous and the enslaved. And the British another well-kept secret, they were following these developments as they do today. They was following the anti-slavery struggle, and they were like, you know, why is it that all these people can't... Think of the ramifications for the day. They were wondering, why are all of these white folks who we have in the colonies talking about they're so oppressed by us, and they're oppressing the indigenous and the blacks? The yeah. ones uh, yelping the loudest about freedom are the ones wielding the lash to the blacks. Sounds a little silly. <laughs> really? Yeah, almost like a guilty conscience, if you will, yeah. where you just you just talk out the side of your neck because, I guess, yeah. you know what you're doing. And they came to the conclusion, many of them, that's why I quoted Samuel Johnson, because he was one of the leading writers. He was on the level with Shakespeare. He followed this closely. And he said, you know what? Maybe we need to reconsider all of this. Arm the Negroes. Let them control that area. Give them some space. Wow. Right? And so, the indigenous. And you can imagine, the white folks here were like, you got to be nuts. We're not going to yeah. let you do that. It was a cruel, <laughs> cruel institution. I don't think they, they sound like because they were an ocean away. Yeah. They, they, they probably gravely underestimated just how insidious at such an early time this whole thing had gotten. Yeah. It's a wild one, man. I'm looking forward to yeah. part four. And that's how the whites got control here. You know, because they, when they broke from England, then they, you know, were able to manage the affairs here on their own. And, you know, the rest is history and what they did, you know, and they, and they made sure that they were able to consolidate their control. There was no entity that was going to stop them from doing that. Thus, we have the foundations for the existence of our lives today. And... Not to give it all away, but in part four, as we're moving towards them actually setting up the nation state in 1776, because remember, the Somerset trial was 1775. See how close that was? They decided between 1775 and then 1776 that, look, we got to break with Britain. If we don't break with them, they're probably going to free these slaves. And if these slaves get free, after all we've done, who knows what's going to happen. So let's just break Thomas Jefferson, um, uh, you know, all the leading, you know, Madison, 
did they, just, did they just try to ghost <laughs> Great Britain? Like they was just gonna okay, now's the time, and you know it's so funny because they once again they don't play none of this stuff up, yeah. and the fact that their timing yeah. coincided with you know it wasn't just time for freedom. Oh, we're you know this is the right year for uh, you know rebelling against tyranny, and it's like. <laughs> Oh no! They you, they were going to outlaw mm-hmm. this institution that became so early on, yeah. uh, you know, soaked in the fabric here. Yeah, they captured it in freedom and democracy because you know they were you can't just say hypocritical that. Yeah, enough to you, know that we can't go down in history as saying we're breaking with Great Britain to form our own nation because we want to maintain slavery unless you and know the that theft they, of the yeah. indigenous lands. <laughs> Ooh, we. That's a cold piece. It sounds better it's if you say it's freedom. Yeah. This they, know, knew, they knew democracy. better. They knew, yeah, they knew better. You British are oppressive and that, you know, was able, just like, you know, they do today in terms of rallying the population to support this Motion. They had to really whip these white folks up to want to fight Britain, and and uh, and they did that. And I think it's interesting to know that if they probably had said this was to maintain slavery, they wouldn't have maximized the white support. All of the whites weren't going for that. But if they made it look like the British were so tyrannical, and we need to have our own country, then. A lot of whites, you know, could go for that. Yes, well, we had I, our own country. It's <laughs> wild. I remember that, you know, there were loyalists, um, you know, a certain percentage of the colonies that didn't go yes, with Yes, they went new, with the British. Okay, well, that's not a bad yeah. idea, you know. Let's uh, stay with the British. Yeah. Because Maybe. we don't we don't like George Washington and Jefferson that much anyway. They got all the wealth. You know, they're the elites. The poor white people, they had nothing to gain from that, really. Uh, other than some privileges, but they rallied the white, the poor whites into it by promising them that they were an equal part of this new nation. Now, we know in reality it was a class stratified country. They weren't going to even share all power with all the white people. There was going to be rich white people, middle class, and poor ones, and most of them were going to be poor. But the, 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 the deal they sold to the poor, well, even though you'll be poor, You'll be above blacks and Indians. A lot of them went for that deal. Man, that's and they still go for it. A cruel, cruel alliance, Diogene. You came back for part three. Thank you so much. New member of the Community Control mm-hmm. Now crew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good stuff here. Anything sound out in some of the things you heard? Yeah, just um, to me, it just... So further solidified the notion that this country was built for white men by white men and it only to benefit white men. So, you know, really it just made me see this is where it's been coming from. It's it's not something that started in in the sixties or the fifties or yeah no they they play it real cute they they don't it's been there since day yeah, one. It's been there since and and how if you never truly absolved your 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 foundation you know have you did you ever you know move on from that you know that's why they don't want crt because it means that we'll have to teach this to our children yeah and many of them will be embarrassed to know this Mm -hmm. you lied to us maybe we weren't (laughs) so great after all yes jesse 
What's up? It's my son, by the way. What's yep. up? Yo, what you doing, bro? Yo. I'm yo, yo, yo. How you, you read some of that for I us? I did. Yo, how you living? Anything that you pick out? Do y'all talk about this at your school? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, what do, you, what, what do you hear about this part of history, the founding of America as a country, you know, the, the barrel-chested, heroic man on the horse? Did they did they know. mix it up for you? How do you I, feel about? I don't know they, about heroic. But <laughs> yeah, they sound like suckers to me. You hear some of this, like they, I mean, just like the worst kind of people. Something that stood out for me was the part where they were talking about, um, like white men just like they're being in, in polluted by. <laughs> Licentious, lich snitch. I don't. Oh, licentiousness. Licentiousness. Yeah, I said it right. They were. Well, that was, that, and that was to say, as I perhaps interpreted that, is, um, you know, this was this was in the zeitgeist. It was like messed in the psyche here. Uh, we got ten more seconds. Hmm. Community control now. Any shout outs here? Jesse, what about you? Other shout outs? Uh, shout out to this whole crew. You did amazing. Yep. Community control now. Let's do it. <laughs> 